welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner. I believe in the power of sharing our experiences and knowledge with others, and when we do, we are creating ripples of impact around us. Each week, get ready for intimate personal shares, honest, relatable conversations, aha moments, and so much more. This space was designed to create empowerment, inspiration, community, and provide guidance to elevate those around us. I am so excited to have you here. Get ready and let's start creating ripples. Hello, welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner, and today I'm chatting with Lauren. And Lauren, I actually just realized I didn't even get your last name yet, but what was fun, I was on your website the other day, and I was so curious about the R-E before your name. Like, re-Lauren is how I was reading it, and I was correct in doing so. And then I was reading on your website how re our re comes up obviously in lauren but it comes up with in your last name as well so if you could just introduce yourself to the listeners and tell them a little bit about who you are and i got connected to lauren through nikki who if you've been along with the podcast um for a while nikki's been on twice and so you probably know her she is a wonderful light and i'm really grateful that she connected us and for you to just share about who you are and for the listeners to get to know you. Amazing. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. I'm psyched to do this. I, I like have pinched me moments when I get to be on podcasts. I'm like, wait, why does anyone want to hear this? But I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I'm Lauren Faree. So Faree shows up in Lauren and then obviously Faree. Um, I got started in, on my sustainability journey about five years ago. I think as with a lot of folks, financial election of 2016 we started realizing how much we cared about something once it was under extreme threat or under extreme attack so for me that was offshore oil drilling on the coast of los angeles which is where i grew up and it's crazy because you'll see oil rigs down south in orange county or up north in ventura county but not in la and it's always been a very protected area and I remember going to the Women's March in 2017, which was the day Trump was inaugurated. Mm -hmm. And we had the attorney general of Los Angeles and the mayor of Los Angeles saying it will not happen. We will not allow drilling on our coast of Los Angeles. And that's when I was like, wow, I have to do everything to make Mm -hmm. sure this doesn't happen. And literally Googled how to stop offshore oil drilling in Los Angeles. And the Surfrider Foundation popped up, which is an amazing environmental NGO that works to protect the country's oceans and beaches, the world's oceans and beaches. And they do amazing grassroots environmental work with um, plastic pollution and ocean or beach cleanups and water quality and making sure people aren't getting in the water and holding corporations accountable who are leaking or dumping toxic material into the ocean, which we just had a really bad sewage spill in LA Mm. and that impacts obviously public health, human health. They do um, beach access and democratizing beach access and making sure that everyone can go to the beach and it's a free public area. And as well as obviously a very robust climate plan too. And the CEO of the Surfrider Foundation co-authored the Blue New Deal, which was something to add on to the Green New Deal and talking about 
the health of the oceans as being a, a focus in reversing the climate crisis. So anyways, from there plugged in and immediately found community and I just became a sponge. And I was like, wow, these are things I've been passionate about, but I had no idea there was so much um, so much community and academia and ways to be involved. And then I was just hooked. And I quickly found that everything I was reading and listening to and watching and spending nights and weekends doing was in the environmental space. Mm. Um, I went and got a like post-grad certificate at UCLA in sustainability studies. And what I learned was that community meant everything to me because it's so easy to feel isolated. I mean, especially with last year too. So easy to feel alone in this fight and the eco-anxiety can kick in and you're like, what difference can I make? I'm just one person. Or like, what's the point? I'm just one person. But when you plug into community, like environmental NGOs are taking a class or joining a community group or something like that, you find how many people share this interest and this passion and are in this fight with you. And that's definitely been the most inspiring part of all of that. So I guess in a nutshell, I'm Lauren Free. I'm an environmentalist and I'm a social media content creator. I Video production is my background. So I make a lot of short, engaging educational videos, mostly for TikTok and Reels. Um, but I'm I found the intersection of my environmental work and my video work, and it's been awesome to get to pursue it as a job. That's amazing. And it, what I'm so curious about is you, you talked a little bit about you. It sounds like this has been something that's been like on your heart for a while, but really within the last five years is when you kind of went all in to really make it a lifestyle for yourself um, around sustainability and plugging yourself into those communities, can connecting with others. And I think there a lot of people can relate to that where there's things that you're interested in or things that you enjoy and you know they're they're a part of your life, but you're not sure if you're ever gonna be able to like make it something that you're doing day in and out. And you've been able to do that for yourself. And I'm just curious, you know, when you started to get plugged in with um, sustainability and the environment and working on like learning more about the offshore drilling in LA and things, what was that like? Was that something that you were like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to make this a part of like my everyday life or did it just kind of like take a hold of you? And then all of a sudden here you are five years later and you're like, wow, look at where I am. I did not see that this is where things were going to take me. Yeah. It's a good question. It's funny. Cause my fiance and I were talking about that last night. Like, do you have to pursue your passion full-time as a job or can it still be something that you pursue in addition to working a job that's not necessarily related? I think there's room for both. Um, I also probably not giving enough credit where credit is due to my mom. And we were raised with a lot of sustainable practices in the house. My mom is like my, I call her my climate idol. She is the queen. Like she is an architect by trade, I guess, and has designed her house to be like almost a fully um, self-functioning home. Like she doesn't get um, her electricity anymore from the grid. She actually pays it back or gives it back to that or sells it back to the grid. It has solar and drives an electric car. And she has a gray water system where the water runoff from the kitchen sink and the bathrooms 
um, go and water her plants and her backyard is this like garden oasis. It's just a jungle out there. And she grows a lot of her own produce. She composts and returns her food waste back to nutrients in the soil. So she is queen. Like she Mm. is the queen. Um, and so she raised us with a lot of those, um, ideologies and principles and yeah, that found, so that foundational understanding and involvement in the space definitely came from mom. And I have two sisters who are very passionate about sustainability as well. Just might not necessarily be pursuing it full time. So my older sister is very connected to her food and cooking and we all compost and we all reduce our waste and are just very plugged into the climate conversation. Just cool. My younger sister too, super plugged into thrifting and sustainable fashion. It's cool to see how each of us have taken it on in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that's where that came from, for sure. I didn't come into this space like completely blind. You know, mm-hmm. mom has definitely been like she, I was at the women's March with my mom okay. when I heard that. Too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as far as like, did I know I was going to pursue it full time or like make this a job? I heard one of my UCLA professors say something that was so good. And I used to work for Red Bull, the energy drink, and mm-hmm. I was creating content for them. And I remember I was almost ashamed to tell my classmates that in my sustainability classes, like hi, I'm Lauren and I create content for Red Bull. And I would kind of like with an icky vibe, share that. And my professor was like, why do you say it like that? And I was like, I don't know. It's just not necessarily the most sustainable company. And she was like, yeah, but everybody says like, they want to go work for a super sustainable company. She's like, and that's really good for Patagonia. If everyone wants to go work for Patagonia, who is like the Holy grail of being an environmentally sound, active company. She's like, but that's really crappy for all the other companies who need someone like you, Mm -hmm. you know, you could go lead sustainability at a company who's not necessarily sustainable yet and lead the charge there and make a difference, you know? Yeah. Instead of being around a ton of people who are already doing it. Well, and that's the thing is I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know a ton about sustainability and different things. There's like little things that we do in our household, but we are like, like I, ever since Nikki connected us, I've been following you and like seeing all the different things that you do. And it's really incredible. And there's like so many little shifts that I think people can easily do in their houses that they don't even realize to just start, but it has to be someone just like your professor said, that starts that conversation because if there isn't someone to kind of like shake things up, how's anyone ever going to really know that they could possibly be doing in another way? Cause yes. that's kind of what happened with us. We had a friend that she started making little shifts and bringing that conversation up like I think the first conversation was around like Ziploc baggies and um, transitioning, like she started using Stasher and using their um, like reusable baggies. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to look into this. And then I decided, okay, well, we're going to start buying these. And so it's like little things that like, you need that person to like shake things up a little bit, or you're not going to actually like know how to make a small change. I think I was laughing at your TikTok of, I think it was where you're like bringing your like salad dressing and you're like yeah. shaking it and you're like, yeah, I'm the person at the meeting that's like slowly just like unpacking like their reusable containers. So it's like the, um, the glass jar and you're like shaking it up yes. and then there was something else. And I was just like, I love it because you're making a conversation that I think a lot of people, it's really intimidating. 
it's an intimidating conversation because like I said, I don't know a lot of like the different ways that I could be making a change, but until I start to like, look at what other people are doing and that's how I learn. And like, you're making it very approachable for people to come to your page and learn from you. And like, you're having fun with it and you're providing education and like you're owning it. And I think that that's a really incredible thing. And I love that your professor to you was like, you get to be the person to kind of like shake it up and to make the change. And that's what the world needs. we need like those movers and shakers. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like you never know the impact that one person can make and until they have that conversation with, and it doesn't have to be like a national global scale. Mm-hmm. It could be in your home or in your classroom, you know, it can be super defeating when you're the only person who believes in something. And when you share it with others and they're like, yeah, but it doesn't matter. You know, like we're not mm-hmm. going to do that. And oh my gosh, I think just like with any type of activism, you face so much rejection and, and like your movement falls on deaf ears or like, I remember, I remember the one I share all the time. I went to Sprouts and I brought my own like reusable bulk bags. I buy a lot of our groceries in bulk seeds and nuts and um, like grains and things like that. You can buy a bulk and then you weigh it at the scale or at the cashier. And he was like, this is really cute. Like this idea is really cute that you're bringing your own bag and you're really cute, but this isn't going to work. This doesn't, this doesn't make a difference. And I was like, what? And like, that's the type of objection you're up against sometimes. Like people don't believe in it, but I also think that there's this like wave of consciousness, this wave of consciousness in the environmental space where more and more people are like a few things one person, like when you're talking about the climate, like climate crisis, global emissions, your one individual footprint cannot make a difference. It's, it will not make a difference. It's like not even a drop in the bucket. It's like a drop in the ocean. Mm -hmm. If you talk about me living a plant-based life and I don't have a car and I reduce my plastic and I vote, it's like one person, no, isn't going to really make a difference. But the, but the other, other side of that is like and when everybody thinks like that when everybody thinks like I'm just one person my my actions don't matter my purchases don't matter I'm just one person then that's like a disease you know then you just have a bunch of people walking around thinking that they don't make it that they don't make a difference and there's no consequences to their actions mm-hmm. which is like yeah that's th- th- that's where we're at right? Is people are like, I don't make a difference. And you have, there's this wonderful PSA that was done. I think it was um, to, I guess, no, last year um, during the election, it was played in swing states and it was like a, a narrative piece, whatever, 69 seconds. And it was all the top executives from oil and gas. And granted, this is like a fun little, almost like not a comedy, but like a skit. And it was all the top executives. And like one is like sitting in there, um, living room area and there's like a fire on in the background and he's like um we at big oil know the consequences of drilling and we know the consequences of our of our business and we even paid scientists to test it but we're going to make sure you never know about that and they're like burning the the reports there's another one like playing golf and it's like we at big oil know that know the detriment that we're causing to the climate but you should really start a compost pile 
And it was like, we at Big Oil know that we're the ones creating the petrochemicals, which create plastic, but you should start recycling. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's, that's how it works, right? Is we're like, how can I compost and how can I recycle and how can I stop buying plastic? But it's like, but these like huge gargantuan companies should be the ones regulated, should be the ones held responsible. Because if they, like, if you talk about, you know, 100 corporations are responsible for 71% of global emissions, you're Mm -hmm. like, if those 100 corporations focus on their footprint, then that's not like a drop in a bucket. That's like 70% of the ocean. Yeah. You know, how do you, and maybe, I don't know if you'll have an answer for this, but you know, how do you start to like help others to like flip that narrative a little bit to see that like, yes, you might be one person, but like, let's say I'm one person and Lauren's a person and my husband's a person. And so if each of us start to see like, yes, I might be one person, but me making a change can actually help, even though it's one drop in the ocean, if we all start to believe that like we can make a change versus like my impact doesn't or my my changes don't make an impact like we have to I mean it's literally creating ripples of like I'm gonna make this change even though I know it's just one drop but the hope is that then someone else sees me doing that and now they're gonna make a change and that's another drop and another drop and like it keeps radiating out right and how do we how do you get people to start to believe that to see that like they actually are important and they can make a difference and I think what's so interesting is I think that can be applicable in a lot of, a lot of different things, right? A lot of different things in life where we feel like, well, I'm just one person. I'm not going to make a difference. I'm just one person, you know, like what, what do I matter? And we have to start to realize like, we do matter. We are just one person, but like, I'm only, I'm the only Alex honor and you're the only Lauren. I'm going to totally butcher your last name free. You got it. Yes. You know, and like, we have to like own that, like we are our own individual selves and like, how do we want to show up in the world and like step into our power a little bit more of like, even though we are just the one drop, but like that drop can be really powerful around to the people that like we know, and it's going to like literally create drops around us. Exactly. That no, was like a tangent yeah. question, but I'm just like, I love it. <laughs> yes. You hit the nail on the head. Cause it is contagious, right? Like your energy, your mindset, the way you position yourself too is contagious. And that goes back to, to this, like this ripple effect or right. This like wave of consciousness in the environmental space too, is like cutting out the gatekeeping because I think for a while there, why people didn't identify as an environmentalist or didn't want to get plugged into, into sustainability is because they're like, well, I still use plastic or I shop at Trader Joe's. So like, I can't be an environmentalist because you can't be an environmentalist and use plastic. And that is so not true. Or like, I can't be an environmentalist because I love cheese and I like love eating burgers occasionally. So you have to be vegan to be, to be an environmentalist. And it's Mm. like, no, and we have to cut out that gatekeeping. But in, even in reflecting in that too, like it's so easy when you join the movement to want to go like zero to 100 overnight. And you like get rid of all the plastic in your house and you only buy in bulk and you have all these like glass mason jars everywhere. And you're using like baking soda as toothpaste and you, and you never use plastic, 
because this idea has perpetuated for so long that in order to be X, you have to be X. And, and I think we're finally breaking that stigma. It's like the systems are in place to make it very hard for you to avoid plastic. Like they, we could, we have a freaking like, we, we have people going to space commercially now. We can innovate a marine degradable plastic material. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? But like you as an individual, that is not up to you. This is like big oil and gas who profits billions of dollars a year on making plastic. And it's, it's the way it's always been done. So it, it like you're breaking 150 years of depending on this material. You so know, how, how oil do and you, gas or plastic. How do you get people to see that like they can make the difference and they do matter? Yeah. And like coming yeah. back to like your interaction with that store clerk of like, how, how do you go about that to get people to realize, like, even just like starting somewhere is better than not starting yeah. at all. Yeah. Well, that's my second point too. So I think something I've always wanted to do with my content is to encourage folks to harness their power mm. because something I realize is when you think when you're just one person or you're trapped in this mindset of convenience or you can't do it, you play so small, like you're playing such a small game. If you think you can't, if you think you can't. So when you harness your power, you're like, wait, I, you're right. I might just be one person, but if I can take this same mindset into other areas of my life, like I can make a difference. And if my individual action becomes an invitation to others, I can make a difference, but that comes when there is not gatekeeping, there is not judgment. And I used to do it all the time. Like when I went vegan, I was so judgy on my family. If they ate cheese or, or meat or whatever, I was like, you're going to have high cholesterol. You're going to have high blood pressure. Don't you know about animal cruelty? Don't you know about the environmental impact, the, the emissions associated with beef production? Don't you know mm-hmm. this? And I was so judgy. Why would anyone ever change their lifestyle if they're met with, with judgment? Mm-hmm. No way. You're like, F you, F you, dude. Like, why would I change my lifestyle because of your judgments? It's not an inclusive way. But if you harness people, if you, if you encourage people, empower people to harness their power, you're like, okay, you can make a difference. I think we see this a lot at beach cleanups, like with the Surfrider Foundation. It's like, even at the biggest beach cleanup I've ever worked at, we, we picked up 800 pounds of trash, which is so gnarly when you see all of those big black, like garden trash bags full of trash or industrial construction trash bags filled with trash. But even that is like half a second of, of ocean pollution or plastic pollution that enters the ocean every day, right? And it's 24 billion pounds of trash enters our oceans every year. So it's like, what's 800 pounds in relation to 24 billion? Like nothing. But when you were in the movement of picking up trash and you start seeing the things that you're picking up and you're like, wait, I eat, I eat these chips. I, I drink this coffee. They're like, I do this. And they're like, wait, 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 what if they just didn't make it out of plastic? Mm-hmm. So even if the person, whether it was littering or not, had the right intention for this to end up in a trash bin and it blew away and it ended up on the ocean or in the bellies of marine life, what if, what if the material is just made from something else? And maybe I feel empowered to write to this company, or maybe I feel empowered to vote or to write to my state representative and saying, what are we doing to eliminate plastic? 
if it's plastic, right? It could be something else. It could be emissions. Like right now, you're in a heat wave in Minnesota. Like this is completely related to the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. Extreme weather events are a result of climate change. And if I write to my state representative in, in California, we're in a gnarly drought right now. Dear Michelle Steele, what are we doing about water conservation during the worst drought we've experienced in 30 years? But if I'm empowered with something as small as like replacing a meal with a plant-based alternative or like picking up a piece of trash, like you are becoming empowered and realizing that you can't, you do make a difference and you are powerful. Then it becomes an invitation to others, to your community, which has significant bigger ripples in your, in your case. Right. Mm -hmm. So something they explain a lot in the sustainability equation is there are three parties in the space. There's the individual, there's corporations, and there's government. If you're talking about making a drop in the bucket, right? An individual probably has the smallest, the smallest as one person, but if individuals gather together and join and start a community group or an environmental NGO, Mm -hmm. or like my mom does a lot of work with um, the Compton community and they have block clubs And they're literally just neighborhoods coming together on different blocks. And they just say, and they like go to city council and they go to the mayor and they talk to their state representatives as a block. And Mm. we're coming together as a block and we're telling you what we have to say about our city, our community, our schools, or whatever, whatever it is. Like, wow. Because when individuals assemble, then there's significant power because you Mm -hmm. have legislators who want your vote and corporations who want your dollar. So they say you get to vote on the ballot and you vote with your dollar. And that's where individuals have so much power. So your individual action of recycling a plastic bottle, not the biggest impact. But if you have like 300 people in your community or like whatever, 5,000 people at your school, or like for me, it's, it's mostly digital, right? It's like, if I have 150,000 people and I'm like, there's a petition against fast fashion, there's the Bangladesh Accord and you have an opportunity to sign this as a person and saying, dear H&M, we will not purchase from you if you do not sign this accord and you need to step up and pay your garment workers a living wage. Boom. Then, then that's where individual action becomes so powerful. Mm. I, I think it. what I love about what you're talking about is, is it's really, I love the idea of like harnessing your power. Like we all have this power within ourselves and like feeling like we can own that power and make that difference and speaking out about the things that are important to us and rallying other people and building that assembly and creating that community. And that's where the change can really happen. But we all have to be willing to like make that change, whatever it is, whether it is starting to live a more sustainable life, or maybe for you, it's something else that's near and dear to your heart. Like even though you think you're just like that one person, if like you go after that or you make that change and like Lauren's talking about you harness that power, then you're going to encourage and empower others to do the same. And that's where the shifts are going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't have to be perfect or beautiful or whatever. Like we had friends over for dinner on Friday night and we made sushi or like vegan sushi, I guess. And my friends are like, wait, what goes in the compost? Like, does this go in the recycle? Does this go in the trash? Like, what is it? And if I meet them with like, you should know that, of course you should know that. Or like that doesn't go in the recycle or whatever. What? You just like block them out. Mm. But their excitement and curiosity and interest in this, I'm like, wow, this actually gets to be kind of like a learning opportunity, you know, or we clean the kitchen all together. 
And instead of pulling out like a bunch of plastic bottles filled with chemicals, I'm like, this is my Grove collaborative refillable cleaning spray that I use. Mm-hmm. And it comes in a glass bottle and here, like use it. And they get to see it and touch it and be a part of it. I'm like, oh, wow. These are all like micro educational moments, you know, within my own hyper small community. I'm curious. I think within the topic that we're talking about right now, it can be really intimidating for people to step into sustainable living. And I think like what you're talking about right here is it's like starting small. It's like those like micro little impacts and micro little changes. And if somebody listening is like, I like, I personally am very inspired by listening to like you talk about it and like seeing your passion, like come out as we're conversating right now. And it's, you know, how, and I guess this also could be applicable to different things, but like starting small, like you just have to start, right? Because if if you let like that intimidation factor, like hold you back, you're never going to make the change. And so when you start and you start small, like, what would you say to someone that's like listening? They're like, where do you start? Or like, how do you start? Because I feel like if you like went to Google right now and you were like sustainable living, it would just like be this like plethora of things. And it would just be so overwhelming and scary. And I think sometimes that pushes people away. And then they go back to that mindset of like, well, I'm just that one person. And so it's like, there's like all these little things that are coming in our head all the time of like stopping us from like making those changes and differences. And so for you, Lauren, is like you show up in your space and like try to help people really feel like this is an approachable lifestyle, you know? So where do, where do people start? Yeah. It's a good question. Um, it's a question. It's funny because I feel like the deeper you, as with anything, the deeper you get into a space and the more, you know, the like, what am I trying to say? The more careful you are about giving advice, you know, cause you're like, mm-hmm. okay, I remember going to a podcast, a podcast, um, live recording with Paul Hawken. And he is the author, the editor of project drawdown, which is the most comprehensive plan to stop global warming. And the pod, the interviewer had asked him the same thing. What's the one thing? What's the one thing? And he's like, there isn't one thing because that undermines the individual. Mm. there isn't one thing. And I'm like, wow, isn't that such a good response? Because if I tell you one thing, then that actually kind of limits you too. Right. It's not one thing. Maybe I could say the first thing, like the first thing you could do in all honesty, and we need to like break down the stigma of this in the U S but it's voting. And like, everyone gets like, like voting is almost like a bad word now. Like, Oh, vote. Especially last year. People were like, if you, if, if you were telling someone to vote, you were like liberal automatically. And it's like, wait, what? Like everybody votes, mm-hmm. like everyone should vote and just breaking down the stigma. And I, I think even just like, who, what is, who is your mayor? What is your mayor's name? Who is your city council? And you can even start super, super small like that. Who is your state representatives? Who are your state representatives and your state senators? And even if it's not voting season, just find out who these people are and what their stances are in different things. Following them on Instagram, I've learned is like the best or joining their newsletters is the best because they give you updates. And it sounds like not a sexy thing to do, but like we said, your impact as an individual, like your individual action might not have the biggest impact, but your legislators care about your vote. And Mm -hmm. if you use your voice, like your, your one voice 
especially if multiplied within your community is like gold to those people. If, if it means that they would not be reelected, mm. you know, do you, you know, if, so like, so let's say you're plugged in, you're voting and you're trying to like really get a better understanding of these people's stances and thoughts and going back to kind of like that gatekeeping of how do you start to educate the people that are like working in our government that I'm sure they obviously have people on their staff that educate them and help them. But what if it is, they're coming from a place of like, they're being only served so much information and like, you want to like, you want to provide them with what you know, but doing it in like a non-judgmental way, I think is really hard or like mm-hmm. boxing people in. I mm-hmm. just read this, the Brene Brown book, um, Braving Wilderness. And have you read it? No, it's, but I love Brene Amazing. <laughs> and it's interesting. It kind of, she touches on what we're kind of talking about of uh, civility and how um, she explains how the issue with like our society is you are like all in on, you have to be like all in on like all these different issues, but like that might not actually be true to you. You might only like resonate with like one issue here and then something else might be different. So like for her, and I don't want to butcher it, but she like grew up in a family that had guns. And then people just assumed that because like she was like pro gun that she was pro NRA, but she says, no, I'm actually, I'm not. But we as a society have like, as you say, gatekeeping. And I say, I call it like boxing in, we like box people in that they have to like be all these one things. And with government officials, this is getting into a little bit of thick of weeds. I just find it really hard to have parties because it does just that it gatekeeps and it boxes people in and they have to be like, well, I'm Republican. So like, these are all the things versus like, if people could just run on their own platforms. And I think with the environment, it's an interesting issue because I don't, and I don't know enough about this. So I'm going to be like, very honest with you. It, it, to me, it feels like this is an issue where the people running actually have like more opportunity to choose for themselves where they stand versus being tied to a specific party. But I'm sure there are a lot thicker layers to all of that where like it does end up being tied to a party in some way. And how do you get government officials to like be willing to, cause it like what you're talking about, I'm going really thick into it, but like what you're talking about is like, they want the vote. And how do you get them to see like, this is a really freaking important issue. And like, you need our votes and to maybe be okay with like losing the votes of other people that don't agree with the environmental issues. Yeah. Does that make sense? That was like very like all over the place. It's good. It's good. I think we need to like normalize talking about politics too. I think just after last year, everyone just wants a break from it because it feels like that's all we were talking about. Um, but it is important, right? It's like how we get things done. We are the most powerful country in the world and we have a responsibility to act like it. Um, when you talk about like the Paris mm-hmm. Accord or the UN Sustainable Development Goals, it's like, we should be on the front lines of that because per capita, per person, the US is the largest emitter in the world. So we are the ones making this mess and we have the responsibility to clean it up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tough question, right? It's like a loaded question. How do you get politicians to understand how bad it is? 
I think, okay, this is what I wrote down. I wrote down the word testimony because I think it's part of the reason why we play small and why we think we can't make a difference is because people say, I don't know enough about it. I don't know enough about emissions or climate change or like global temperatures, or I don't know enough about plastic pollution and where it comes from in order to speak. Because we also like with gatekeeping, it's like we've created this, this atmosphere where you have to be an expert to, to talk. And it's not true. And that's where I want to encourage people to or empower people that your testimony and your story is so much more powerful than any data out there. And like, if anything, something we always learned is um, numbers numb people. Like when I say 24 billion pounds of trash, you can't even count to 24 billion. You can't like in a le- in like several lifetimes, you literally could not even count to that number. But if you're like, hey, I grew up in Los Angeles and I spent my childhood in the ocean and in my adult life, like in the mm-hmm. ocean, and I'm sick and tired of seeing plastic lining our ocean, lining our beaches. I've seen like dead seals and dead seagulls and beach whales with their stomachs full of plastic. I understand like, and I'm speaking from experience, right? I'm a, I'm a woman and I want to have children. And I think about what type of future they're going to grow up in and not one where I'm constantly worried if we're going to get evacuated from fires or like what the air quality is, if it's safe to go outside. And those are all personal anecdotal stories that aren't like wildfires emit tens of millions of pounds of harmful carbon in the atmosphere. It's like, no one needs to hear that. We've been, we've been saying that since like the sixties. Right. Mm. But if you're like, as an individual, this is how I'm impacted. And this is what it means to me. Like that is powerful. That is like the testimony that everybody has. And you could even say, I'm not an expert and I don't know, but like, I know plastic is bad and I don't feel good when I use it. And I feel like there has to be a sustainable alternative with how much access to the technology and development our country has. The world's wealthiest people live in this country. Like surely we can develop something, Mm. you know? And then it becomes part of your, your testimony, your anecdotal story, instead of just being like a, a, a speaker for all the data that already exists, you know, which is probably what they already know. They probably have the data, you know, well, they don't digest, right. You don't digest, you don't remember the data. You don't digest the data, but you remember people's stories. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing of like, you hear about the one that keeps me up at night is you hear about climate refugees and you're like, Oh yeah, duh. Like parts of the world are going to become so hot. They become uninhabitable or like, Last year, Bangladesh, 60% of Bangladesh was underwater because of flooding. And you hear, but it feels so like out there. There's an amazing book called We Are the Weather. And it's mostly about like plant-based eating and and animal agriculture. But it talks about climate change feels like an out there problem. But when you see climate refugees and you're like, oh, wow, you're not just displacing people temporarily. It's not like a hurricane came through and you lost your house and you get to rebuild. It's like, these are cultures, cultures for like hundreds or thousands of years that have always lived in this place that can now no longer exist there geographically because it's uninhabitable. A part of the world is uninhabitable. Mm -hmm. You cannot live there. That's nuts. And imagine looking at, a child refugee in the face, a refugee child in the face and understand. And like, that is the story. They're like, we can't mm-hmm. live here because we can't source water. 
we can't live here because we can't grow food. We can't, you know, even, and it's not even like that far out there. You're like seeing what's going on in, in our own country. And you're like, oh, wow, these places will be underwater. Miami will be underwater, you know? So, but then another thing too, Alex, that you had mentioned is the gatekeeping or boxing people in or Brene Brown saying, I have family with guns. It's like this toxic mindset of cancel culture, like prevents anybody from saying anything. Like, I don't want to say, I don't want to say something because I'm going to get canceled. Mm -hmm. And like, oh my goodness, as a content creator, I get like every single, like, it's not, it's not even people with the right intention of like, Hey, maybe consider using a different, using different language. Or like, if you chose this word, it would be more inclusive to this people group. Or if you, um, or even I, I welcome it. It's like, Hey, check your white privilege. When you talk about access to plant-based foods and I'm like, Oh yeah, food deserts. Like we need like just being more inclusive in all of this messaging. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like just full on cancel culture. It's like, you're Lauren, you said you're an environmentalist. And I saw you at a coffee shop with a plastic cup. I'm going to take a picture of you and post it on and be like, she's full of shit. Right. You're like, oh, wow, this like this environment of cancel culture just sets everybody up to fail. You know, it creates this fear around, well, I might be really passionate about something or something might be really on my heart, but I don't want to go and speak out about it because the fear that someone is going to I mean, like your example of like the coffee shop, you know, like someone is going to be like, well, I just saw her doing this. I, I think about it. So I work in fitness and my friend just started, Hannah just started posting, like she ate a donut the other day after she worked and she's like, hashtag fitness professional. Like, yeah, we eat, we eat other things besides just healthy food. You know what I mean? And it's, it's like, you could, she could be like, I'm not going to show people that. Or she could be like, this is me owning, like, this is who I am. I live like a balanced lifestyle just because you work in fitness doesn't mean your life is just fitness there, you know? And it's like it, and we're all learning and we're figuring out how like we want to show up and like how we want to live. And I think we have to be willing. Brene also talks about this in her book of like showing civility by like listening to people's stories and experiences even if their opinions and things are different than our own we have to show up willingly to listen to what they're saying and understand why they feel that feel that way versus coming at them in an attacking mode and just assuming maybe they maybe they're presenting something that actually is wrong and you ask the questions and then use that as a teaching moment versus an attacking moment. Exactly. And her example, you were talking about like how someone maybe had said, like using a different word. An example in hers is she was speaking at a conference and she used the word gypped and someone came up to her after and was like, I rate that she used the word gypped and couldn't believe she said it. And Brene was like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I don't understand why. And she was like, are you kidding me? It's a derogatory word for gypsies. And like, Brene was like, I actually didn't know that. And she said she felt so shameful and she wished like the woman would have taken it as an opportunity to say, Hey, I don't know if you know this, but gypped is actually a derogatory term against 
the gypsy community. And here's why. And it's, we as a society need to do a much, much better job of not just assuming that when someone shows up and they're sharing something publicly with you, that they're doing it from a harmful place or that they're doing it intentionally. Instead, like ask the question of like, why do you feel that way? Or why did you use that word? Or, you know, and being open to like listening and not just coming at them. Yep. Totally. Totally. There's a, um, an IG, it was an IG live. And then I think she posted as an IGTV. Her name's Marie. Marie. She's an amazing creator, um, environmental justice, racial justice. She's wonderful. And she shares her knowledge so brilliantly and in such an inviting way. She talked about cancel culture and there is a difference between like arrogance or ignorance and, and like intention with a mist with like, a with a miss. Right. And some of these things, I think a lot of, I think a lot of white people felt so frustrated last year. They're like, why didn't we get, why weren't we taught this in school? And then you look at the movement of critical race theory and you're like, oh yeah, kids need to learn this because then you have full grown adults in powerful positions, like making decisions off of generations long, like hundreds of years of really deep rooted racism. Mm -hmm. And there's frustration because I'm like, why, why weren't we taught this? And it does take the initiative and the discipline and the, the necessary work as an adult to say, okay, I grew up in a system that favors white, white privilege. And I am looking at my BIPOC brothers and sisters facing fatal detrimental repercussions of a system that has protected people like me. Mm-hmm. And I have to do the work now as an adult to make sure that I am inclusive, that I am inviting, that I'm breaking down this, like these systems of oppression in everything I do. And, and it, it's a shame that it's requiring adults to do this work when you're like, what do we teach children in school? Like, why aren't we, why aren't we taught this? You know, mm. um, but there is a difference. Like someone could be like, I don't care. I'm going to say whatever I want. I use my words as my words are weapons and I don't care if they hurt people. Like, and there's so much privilege in that too. Cause if you're in a place where there aren't consequences for your words, then like, th- then there is privilege in that, mm-hmm. you know, but you have, but you have, there are consequences to your words, especially if they are offending or suppressing to a people group yeah what when i when i am listening to you talk about you know with everything especially like the last year i think personally for myself and i think this comes up with in a lot of different topics is it and we talked about this a little bit is it's scary to be open and vulnerable about the things that we don't know about Mm -hmm. and like own that in the sense of I didn't recognize the way that people in Minnesota of color, like BIPOC communities were struggling or being treated differently. All these things that came up last year and it was like, what the hell were we doing? And also, why didn't we notice that? Why didn't we see that? And then it, it created this like, okay, I want to learn. And I want to educate myself, but also like that it was fearful of like, are people going to be open to educating or are people going to be like, well, how dumb do you have to be that you didn't recognize that, you know? And I think that that 
can come up with in a lot of different things is it's like you might be willing to learn and take on and educate yourself and like want to make a change in something, but it is intimidating of, well, will I be accepted of like how little I know that someone's going to like take me under their wing and they're going to teach me? Or am I going to have that like pushback of like, well, you have white privilege. So like, you know what I mean? It's, you have to find the right people that are going to be accepting of like you showing up and being like, this is me. And I want to learn. I want to educate. I want to grow. I want to be better. Like, can you help me to like recognize like where I can start yeah. show up? And like you talked about harness my power because I do want to be that one drop and like build my community and assemble people. And I, I, I don't know. It's like, yeah, I to move past that fear and just like that willingness to like go out and like try because trying yeah. is better than not trying at all. Boom. You got it. Or like your words with like pure intention is so much more powerful than your silence. And mm-hmm. we learned last year, like your silence is suppressive. Like you saying nothing is, is suppressive because that's what's happened, right? It's like so many people were blind and, and not speaking. And that's what happened is like so much lack of action has what gotten us to this point. <clears throat> and everything you're saying is like responsible allyship. And like, what does it mean to be an ally? And I think the frustration from the BIPOC community is they're like, we're not educators. Like we're mm-hmm. not here to educate you. And it's actually, I had a session with um, a man, Matthew Kincaid. He's wonderful. Um, Overcoming racism is his nonprofit. He works in New Orleans with schools, with schools and educators and teachers and, and parents and everything is wonderful. And there was this study and it's like seven reasons why white people say they're not racist And the seventh one was teach me. I want to learn, teach me. And it was like, it is not the responsibility of BIPOC people to teach you, to teach you. Like there is, there is hundreds of years of material that exists. There are felt like whatever, whichever way you learn best, it is there. Mm -hmm. Like you can read books, you can watch films, you can attend webinars, you can pay. Like maybe there are some BIPOC educators who have series or webinars or courses that you can take. Like all of these resources exist. It's not like the one BIPOC person, you know, in your community to be your educator, Mm -hmm. you know, that is not their responsibility. And there's so much exhaustion and burnout with that and being like the one token BIPOC person in your group, in your community, in your church, in your Mm -hmm. school, whatever. So I also was like very, uh, like humbled and reminded of that last year. It's like, that is not that is not the responsibility of the BIPOC community to be educators as like a, as a proper ally, I have to do the work on my own. Within what we're talking about of just, I think it's a good reminder, even wherever you're starting, whether it is educating yourself on, you know, what am I trying to say here? I think within any type of topic, if you are someone that is wanting to learn and to make a difference and to show up, you have to be willing to teach yourself. Like you can't just assume that like, okay, well, I'm ready. Here I am. Like Mm -hmm. you have to be willing to actually do the work because if you're not willing to do the work, you're not going to be like bought in on it. You're not going to actually make the change and do the necessary steps to make the difference. Yeah. I don't know why the analogy of like a marathon came to mind. I think it's something, cause it's so like, 
it's so understood and like valued in Western culture is like races, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, how many people put a race on their new year's intention in some capacity, right? Or like a fitness goal. Like if you're in the fitness world, oh my goodness, how many people put like a fitness goal on their new year's resolution? Mm -hmm. But we have like built this system or like we've built this structure around races or whatever fitness where you're like, okay, I'm going to run a race and I'm going to sign up is the first step. And then I'm going to join a running group and I'm going to buy the right shoes. I'm going to get on a training plan and I'm going to stretch and see a PT. I'm going to do all these things, right. To prepare for this race. But imagine if you did the same thing, it's like, I want to be an ally, right. This year, whatever. If you, if you treated it like a intention, you can't just be like, well, I want to be one. Well, I want to be one. It's like, that's like, I want to run a marathon. I want to run a marathon. It's like, okay, well, did you sign up? Did you join a community group? Mm-hmm. Did you get the gear, like the books? Do you have a running buddy? Do you, are you like stretching? It's the same thing. Yeah. What are the steps that you're willing to put in to actually take action? Yeah. And it's, but it's unlike a marathon, there is no finish line, right? It's like right. a lifetime commitment. I am constantly accepting mindset or constantly challenging mindsets of our own. And accepting those of others. Because I think that's, a, especially within the racial justice <clears throat> conversation, you're like, oh, as a white person, as a person who has benefited from white privilege my entire life, I have to constantly challenge things that have insulated me from experiences of people that don't look like me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With, within what you're speaking to of like putting in that work on that lifeline work, I talk a lot about that within a recovery of you can have someone that you know that's struggling with alcohol and you want them to make that change and you want them to be better or you know like click the fingers and like they're recovered or whatever it may be but at the end of the day if you are pushing them into that if you are the one like telling someone like within your uh like wheelhouse like if you are pushing someone to live a sustainable lifestyle or I am pushing someone to get sober at the end of the day, it does not matter how much we push. It actually, it doesn't serve them at all. Like they have to be the ones willing to show up to make the change because when they are the ones that want to do it, that's when the real change happens. That's when the real shift happens. And so like, I always say to people like, well, like, do you want to stop drinking? Like, or are your parents wanting you to stop drinking or your spouse or whatever it is? Because if they want you to, and you're just doing it for them, it's not going to happen. Like you have to be the one willing to show up and do the work because it is something that you're committing to today, ideally tomorrow. And you know, like for me, I want to be sober the rest of my life. And like, if I was doing it for anyone, but me, it wasn't going to make a difference. And so same thing with like, if you want to live a sustainable lifestyle, you're doing it because, well, you recognize the way it's going to help the environment, but you're also doing it because you want to do it. You're not just doing it because someone else is like pushing you into that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, they're so similar. I think the difference too is the consequence of, and I've, I've had family in my, or people in my family who have struggled with addiction too. So I hear it like, and I, I reflect too, and my mom really coached me with this, like my motives to get them sober or healthy or whatever were so selfish. Like I used to antagonize my dad, like, don't you want to walk all three of your daughters down the aisle? Mm -hmm. Don't you want to play with your future grandchildren? 
And my mom was like, Lauren, stop making it about you. And I was like, Mm. wow, isn't it so crazy that that's like a selfish motive? You know, my dad will continue to live a life the way he chooses to live his life. And if it's about living an amazing, or if my intention in this is to have an amazing relationship with my dad, one where he feels loved and seen and self-expressed and free, like threatening him or antagonizing him or like shaming him is not like, how does that create a space to do any of that? But with climate, it's like, I think that's why there are other parties involved, like corporations and government too. Cause you're like, there are consequences to our actions. You alone are not responsible. Like me, you alone, Alexandra are not the reason why climate change exists. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you have issues with addiction, it's like the only person who can change that is you. Right. Yeah. So there, but like with climate a- change, it's like, no, it will not be, you will you, you cannot be the only person, but that's why it's really cool. We have to start envisioning ourselves as a collective as like individual action creates collective action communal action Mm -hmm. and we're like wow I'm starting to realize and learn that my actions the way I vote the way I vote with my dollar the community I live in the the country I'm a part of has huge actions when we talk about the climate crisis Mm -hmm. you know and almost taking the responsibility of like our community our country as like wow, look at the damage the U.S. is doing from an emission standpoint and the trajectory you're on for global temperatures. Like we have a responsibility and me as an, I as an American have a responsibility to reduce that. Hmm. I have a question that is going to seem like this has been something I'm like always wondering. Yeah. So, you know, you buy the glass jars and people will like buy the boxed, food from the grocery store and then they put them into the glass jar it like to me I'm like but if they're still buying the cardboard box with the plastic bag and then they're putting it into the glass jar like it's a mind game to me of like how how is it that how is that making right a difference does that make it right sense like those are the things like to me where like I sit and I'm like is that like the place to start? Like, is it like, and I know you said like, it's not just like the one thing, but like, I see people doing that and I'm like, but you're still purchasing the plastic bag the plastic yeah. bag and the cardboard. Yeah. And it like, yeah. I struggle with that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Um, like the first thing that came to mind was like, this can be quite performative, right? Like, and the environmental movement can be very performative because now it's sexy. Like now it's sexy to be seen with like a metal straw and a reusable tote bag. Mm-hmm. And it's like the cool hit thing, right? Because there's been so much shame around plastic. Like you would never want to be caught with like a plastic bag or whatever. So it is performative, but it's, but you know, it's like part of it. It's like, cool. I hope this stays trendy and sexy and that people mm-hmm. want to be seen using these things. Cause whether your intention is to be seen with it or not, you're you, you're using it. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the, um, pouring like a bag I'm thinking of like oatmeal like you buy a box of oatmeal that has a bag in it and you pour it into a glass jar it might be like the aesthetic of looking like I bought this I bought this and now it's in the jar ideally it would be would have been bought bulk like from a you know like a big mm-hmm. tub at your local sprouts and you put it in your reusable bag and you weigh it and you bring it home mm-hmm. the we can give this this invisible person this Jane Doe 
the benefit of the doubt that maybe keeping it in a glass jar will make it last longer and helps mm-hmm. them avoid food waste. Um, that could be the intention too, in using a glass jar, just like plastic bag where air is still getting in to make it go stale or go bad. Um, but yes, that was just, it's just like something I like see and I'm like, other people have to be what thinking this too. Like, right. There was a trend on TikTok where it was like restock. It was like, it's just like people restocking their house. There was also a trend on TikTok that made me throw up when it was like, it's that time of week again, you know what time it is. And people were taking like full bags of greens or broccoli or like bell peppers, like bags from Trader Joe's or wherever they bought it, taking it out of the fridge, putting it in the trash can and like the new bag in their fridge. And it was like this roar of people in the comments of like, oh my gosh, you do that too. I do that too. And people like throw up because it was the intention of like, I'm buying vegetables because I want to be healthy, but I don't eat it and I let it go bad, but I just replace yeah. it. And I was like, this food is like perfectly good. And something I hope all of your listeners take away is like, vegetables do not need an expiration date. Like you do not need to look at a sticker on a vegetable. It's like, look at it. There's like a little bit of brown. Even if there's brown, you can really just like chop it off. It's like, you're not going to get sick. There's no dairy. There's no meat. There's like nothing in it that could go bad. It makes you sick. Mm-hmm. Mushroom, like something fungus might be like a little funky. Cause you're like, ah, like, I don't know if I want to eat this, but like, if, if you have a head of romaine and like the outer leaves are brown, the inside is probably still really good mm-hmm. or bell pepper that has like a little bit of brown. Just like chop that off and like use the rest. Yeah. You know? We just did that last thing with our avocado. I don't know exactly what avocado. There was like yes. something white in it. Yeah, we still scoop it out. Scoop it out. It was yeah. fine. But um, oh, I was gonna say something, and now I forget what I was gonna ask you. My fiance makes so much fun of me because I hate I hate food waste. Mm-hmm. I hate plastic, but I hate food waste more. And it's funny because we'll have food that's like probably a little too like leftovers or something. And it's like, it's not even appetizing at that point. It's like pretty dried up or like pretty gross, but I will eat it. Cause I don't, I hate food going to waste. That's how my husband is. And I, I like, can't eat food. If I, if it like smells like it might be time yeah. to go or I'm yeah. a freak about like expiration dates and like he's like kind of got me like softer on it but I'm like yeah well it says it expired and he's like does it smell is there mold then it's right. fine yes and I'm like okay okay so I'm yes. like getting better about it like I my yogurt today yes. technically expired on the 15th but I still ate it and yes, like but fine. He it's still everything good. like yep. our leftovers my mom thinks he's crazy like he'll eat it and she's like that is not good anymore and he's like it looks fine it tastes good it's fine we're going with it so he's slowly like pushing me towards that but like I like used to be such a stickler of like oh well this is expired and he just he'll eat it like it yeah nothing goes to waste in the Zoner house pretty much because Jordan we call him our like disposable garbage like he just eats it all garbage disposal yes yes but Oh my gosh, I forget what I, there was something I wanted to ask you, but now I'm going to have to just like, I have to let it go. And maybe if I come back to it, I'll message, I'll message you or something. Um, but I think what is, what I've loved about the conversation that we've been having is it's just like, 
listening to you like step into this and like really make it a part of your life, but like in an approachable way and really inviting others to do the same and just start to take a look within themselves and going back to this idea of harnessing that power that we all have and knowing that like you may be one person, but if you are willing to like learn and show up, you can impact those around you and start to meet a community or an assembly and like that's where the shift starts to happen and like coming back to like really recognizing like we do all have a lot of power so like owning that and just being willing to start somewhere and exactly I I'm just curious for you is there any like last like takeaways or ahas or less like life learnings that you've had that you'd like to share with those listening yeah, I guess, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but I hope it really drives home is that you are so much more powerful than you think. And a lot of people want you to believe that you're small, you know, cause a lot of corporations profit off of us thinking that we're small or just being stuck in the way that it's always been done, but we are so powerful. And I think when we come together, if you multiply that mindset of like, I am powerful, I am powerful. Like that is a weapon, you know, that was, a, that is a weapon against some serious, um, toxic mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is contagious. I also want to hammer home to the importance of like rest and recharge because the work can be exhausting and burnout is very real. Um, so resting and recharging is so important too. And then I know I said earlier, like giving steps undermines the individual, but I think a great place to start. And especially since we're on a podcast talking about this, I think a great place to start is integrating climate content into what you're already engaging with. Mm. So if you're a film person, like just start watching environmental films. If you're a podcast person, just have like a few climate ones on rotation if you like, but if you're a reader, like throw a climate book into your like reading list for the summer, I have a full, I'll send you, I have like a full list of books and films and podcasts and recommendations to get started with. I think that's a great place to start because a lot of this content is obviously like professionally condensed in a very digestible way. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know anything about the climate crisis, you're like, wow, I didn't know. And it might break it down, including like, I mean, the climate crisis is also very intrinsically connected to racial justice, right? Like in intersectional environmentalism, a huge community who's doing amazing intersectional environmental work. They're like, well, when you talk about the climate crisis, you also have to talk about how it's disproportionately affecting BIPOC communities or like black and brown countries around the world a lot of films that, and books and content that bring all of that to light and together. So it's not about, you know, why, why do we reuse a a water bottle? Because when you see what the plastic pollution crisis looks like in other countries, you're like, oh, wow, that, because that's what's going on in other countries. And it's Mm -hmm. American, American corporations creating the products, you know? Well, Um, and so yeah, I would start there. It comes back to that idea of educating yourself and learning and then also recognizing the impacts that it has on those personal stories you might not know that person in another country that little child that's being impacted but it having that like 
image of being able to tie it to someone and how that different, like the difference that you can make for that person, I think is really powerful. And exactly what you were talking about, like sharing your personal stories, there is so much power in that. Exactly. You got so it. this ties perfectly into my last question for you, which is what is the ripple that you want to create? I mean, I might sound redundant here, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I want to create a ripple of folks stepping into their power mm-hmm. and using their powerful voice to demand change that creates a sustainable, equitable future for all. I love it. Thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on the podcast. And I'll connect with you to link some of the educational content and resources that you have for the listeners that want to go and dive deeper. Um, And then Lauren, where can my listeners find you? Yeah. So like we said, I go by re Lauren on all the things. I have a lot of fun on TikTok for your TikTok listeners. Um, A lot of fun there. And then on Instagram as well. My website is relauren.com. And those will all be linked in the show notes. And until next time, let's go out and start creating ripples. Mm -hmm.